Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. For three months, Wanda Johnson was a full-time caregiver to her sister who had advanced gallbladder cancer. Then Wanda was diagnosed with triple positive breast cancer. That diagnosis lit a flame of passion. She became a breast cancer advocate where new opportunities have led to diverse experiences. Welcome, Wanda. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Oh, absolutely. So you are in this very unique position of being both a patient and a caregiver. Let's start with your diagnosis. Certainly. In April of 2009, very, very beautiful spring morning, I'm there for my routine mammogram. And uh, I would say a couple of months before that appointment, I had noticed a, a lump protruding from my upper breast area. Uh, didn't think much about it. Knew I had the appointment coming up. So I went, had the mammogram, and uh, the technician came back and said, okay, you're good to go. And I said, oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I see this little lump right here, so can we check it? You know. So, of course, they did. And four hours later, after completing every diagnostic test that they could do there at the imaging center, I walked away around noon knowing exactly uh, what I had, and that was a diagnosis of breast cancer. And uh, I can recall, uh, as they worked me in for various appointments, they set me up with warm blankets hot tea, mm -hmm. uh, crackers, and magazines as I waited until they called me for the next. And that went on for, I know, at least three procedures. And so uh, as I was on the table, I can recall asking, okay, so what's my next step? See a surgeon. Okay, well, do you happen to know any? Because I don't. Yeah. And so that's how the, the that was sort of the flow and the atmosphere doing that, uh, that process. And uh, when I walked out, uh, I had friends waiting for me because I had made a, a couple of phone calls uh, requesting prayer and, um, and they answered. And so, you know, by, by Monday afternoon, I knew that I needed to begin making appointments uh, or interviewing, if you will, uh, surgeons to decide who I was going to go with. And that started the process. And Wanda, where were you living at this time and where were you being treated? I was living in Houston, Texas. Okay. Uh, and prior to my diagnosis, uh, my sister was living in Mobile, Alabama, which is our, our home. That's where we were born and raised. Uh, so I was sort of in between those two places, if you will. Uh, I firmly believe, however, that my uh, cancer uh, started to uh, manifest itself while I was a caregiver. 
uh, because I know that there were times when my immune system was compromised, whether it was the allergies going on, whether just being in and out of medical facilities, spending nights in the hospital, so forth and so on. And I actually do believe that that was the start of it. And it just took a while for it to begin to show itself to me. Wow. Um, I'm going to circle back to being a caregiver in just a moment. But what I found really interesting is you knew there was a lump and you went through your mammogram and the radiologist was about to send you on your way. Yes. And Andrea, that's because my lump was not in the breast area as we know it. Wasn't okay. in the boobs. Okay, it sat high up on the flatter portion. Okay, oh, as like I, the sternum? As I say, close to the sternum, yes. On that above the curve on that flat portion. Okay. So initially I thought, well, okay, well, maybe I got bit by something, you know, what have you. And I sort of watched it grow just a little bit. But still, I knew I had that appointment coming up. And so the, the technologist, technician, of course, didn't pay any attention to it because of where it was located. And, uh, or if she saw it, it didn't register that mm -hmm. she needed to do something about it. You know? uh, but, and frankly, I almost forgot. Once I brought it to her attention and she responded with a, Oh my, you know, we did what we needed to do. So, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about, and I love the phrase you used because most people don't do this. Tell us a little bit about interviewing a surgeon. Yes. I uh, was given the name of uh, two surgeons from the uh, radiology center. And then uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, because of her family history and so forth, had a, uh, a surgeon, had a relationship with a surgeon who had uh, worked with her family over several years. And when I spoke with that individual, he once said to me, I'm glad you found it early. I'm not going to take you on as a patient. And um, just imagine my shock with that. Right. And he says, but the reason why I'm not is because from this point forward, you will need to have a long-term relationship with your physicians, plural. And I will be retiring sometime along that way. And that just opened up my eyes to say, okay, wait a minute. I need to not look at proximity of where I live and where the surgeon's office or the hospital is and so forth and so on. I need to look for somebody who makes me feel comfortable mm -hmm. as I'm, as I'm talking to them to see what, what their recommendations are. That opened my eyes first. And then when I realized that, I was attempting to bring my sister from Alabama to Houston to go to MD Anderson. That light bulb went off. Wanda, why are you not talking to MD Anderson? Right. I was going to ask. <laughs> you know, God, hello. You know, but again, I was kind of focused on uh, proximity and so forth. And we had access to Anderson and a lot of great, you know, facilities where I, where I am. So anyway, I went to, uh, went to MD Anderson. 
And lo and behold, I tell you, my entire journey was sort of unorthodox. I went to MD Anderson. I was assigned to a surgeon. Uh, that's how they do. They assign you to a, a multidisciplinary team. Okay. And so um, I can recall, and I had no idea who this person was. I can recall waiting for appointments. And as, as the ladies come in and, and go out, oh, well, who are you going to see? And I gave them the name. And this lady says, I tried for six months to get her. I don't understand. How did you get assigned to her? And I said, frankly, it was a blessing because I have no idea who she is. And I'm thinking, wow. Well, come to find out later that she was a pioneer of the sentinel node biopsy procedure. Uh, that they do particularly in breast cancer. But as things would have it, I was assigned to her because she was one of the best. However, after my, sometime between my first and second appointment, I had to be reassigned because of what was going on with her personally. Mm. And she had and a step away. That taught me that the best is not always the most appropriate. Mm. God, that's uh, so good. So they reassigned me. You know, they reassigned me, and uh, I did like this this surgeon. It was one who was uh, mature, well seasoned, well tenured, all those things initially to one who was uh, much younger, had a lot of personality, mm. and so forth. And it was a great fit. Yeah, so I had no regrets about that. There were some, some things that my husband and my best friend who went with me on that first appointment, you know, we all sort of noticed something that didn't quite appear right. But we didn't say anything about it. Uh, and uh, it just goes to show that we didn't have to say anything about it. You know, so we were just there in that moment for that experience. And uh, and it taught me a lesson that seeking the best and having the best is not always the most appropriate fit uh, for any particular season. So, Wow, that, that is such a great lesson. Wow, thank you for sharing that. What was well, your worst moment during your journey? My worst moment for me came as I was ending my chemotherapy treatment, uh, waiting to begin radiation, and uh, my son uh, was, um, he was murdered. My only son, young guy, uh, very unexpectedly on, on many levels. Um, and so he, he passed away. And I had to make a decision very quickly. Do I cradle up and get in my fetal position? Or do I make a very deliberate choice to live? Mm. And obviously... You know, I made the choice to live uh, because he left me with a three-year-old grandson. 
and of course I had my husband and you know, nieces and so forth, my, my daughter's uh, young adult children and so forth. So that was the most difficult uh, moment. Uh, the diagnosis wasn't. Uh, the journey beginning the chemo treatments wasn't. It was that moment that was the most difficult. Oh, Wanda, I'm yeah. so sorry. I am so yeah. sorry. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Yes, yes. He, he was one who was very, very wise. In fact, I had named him Jonathan Allen, and it meant a wise child of God. Oh. I just had no idea how that would play out. Oh. <laughs> because he was very wise, very tall in stature, tall and slim, but could conference, con could have a conversation with just about anybody on any level. And he just did not, while that wisdom and that knowledge and so forth matured, his social maturity was a little bit slower. And so he did not know how to balance the two to work well. So he made poor decisions. Um, but I will say, though, my last conversation with him, and this is just sharing a little bit of you and uh, with you and, and who I am, his last conversation with me was, Mom, why is it always so, so difficult to make a change? Oh. And so that told me he was trying. He was trying hard to uh, make some new decisions, some better decisions for himself. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad of that, uh, glad of that. But 10 years later, his memory still lives on among the people that he touched. Uh, I, I see it through social media, you know, mm -hmm. at least mm -hmm. once a year. Sometimes on his birthday when I go and decide that I want to poke around and and see what's what's going on there. So, how did you answer his question? Well, I, now, granted, I don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you, how would you because, answer that today? Because it's a very good question. Yeah, why, no, why today, is it so hard to make a change? Yeah, to to make the right decision can't be taken lightly. It 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 requires a lot of thought. It requires reflection. Uh, but to make a wrong decision is is easy because we look at what's right in front of us. You know, oh, that appeals to me as a human. That appeals to my desire to get more. That appeals to, so, okay, I'm going to go with that, you know. But to make the right decision, it requires everybody to stop, you know. Think about this for a minute and um, and, and reflect on that. And then, and then move forward. So uh, he knew, and he he was struggling with also. I came to find out later, um, just by connecting nuggets of conversation, that he was struggling with what God was wanting him to do. That that's what it was. You know, he knew he had the ability. People saw it. He knew what God was saying. Yet those earthly things and what appeals to us as, as man kept calling him. So um, I guess as he was trying to, oh, I can handle this. I can do both. You know, the pull just got too much. And he knew 
that he needed to make a change. Uh, as I said, you know, he had he had a, a son. He just realized how much more difficult it would be. He thought, I guess, that he could handle it, but mm-hmm. it was well above him, well without his uh, beyond his his abilities. So. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. What, what was your what was your best moment? Wow, my best moment, I would say, it was during the holidays. And um, I had to go for a, a treatment to the, uh, to the main building there at MD Anderson. They had skeleton crew. And uh, as my friend and I were walking through the hallways and a lot of areas uh, were closed down and it was, it was, you know, the lights were out in many places. However, as I approached the area that I was going to, I began to hear someone singing. And I'm thinking, oh, now that's, that's different. (laughs) And uh, I got closer and I realized that she was singing a spiritual hymn. And I looked at my friend, my friend looked at me and was like, this is uncommon. What's, what's going on? You know? And so we just kind of smiled at each other. And as we approached the area and that employee saw me she's like oh i apologize i'm so sorry it's just me and i'm like oh no please carry on that was just an experience that i like to think that was just for me in that moment it's one uh i've never heard anyone else express and uh, so that that was one of the most exciting moments uh, I've got one more I can share with you as well. Oh, please do. And I agree. I think it was just for you. It was. Yes. Thank you. The other is um, having an opportunity to participate in a flash mob dance. <laughs> and, <laughs> really? Oh, tell yeah. me. Uh, we we <laughs> right need after, photos, okay? All right, tell me. <laughs> right after uh, I had finished treatment, I had gotten an email. You know, and I'm like, how did they get my name? And, uh, I got an email. It took place in the uh, Houston Galleria. And it was put on by a gentleman who actually was a cancer survivor, a huge donor uh, to the cancer center at another major facility here in Houston. He and his wife were both professional ballroom dancers. So they got this idea to put on a flash mob dance with breast cancer survivors participating and Donna Summers, Mm. who's saying, I will survive, surprised us. We rehearsed to her music. We didn't know she was going to come and perform live for us. Oh, I just got the chills. I love it. Yes. So it was, I I have no idea how many of us actually participated. We were coming from all sorts of places and there were rehearsals here and there and we were treated to a very nice evening of, uh, well, it was rehearsal, but it was also a cocktail hour. He had written a book and uh, gave us that as our going away gift. And it was just 
it was awesome. It was just truly, truly awesome. Uh, it was on television. <laughs> and I thought, I am in a pink wig with a pink boa wrapped all around my neck. So the wig sort of had bangs. And I'm like, who will recognize me? Photographers are so skilled, I tell you, because even with all of that, somebody sends me a message. Wanda, were you on television? Were you dancing? And I'm like, oh, give me a break. Really? <laughs> so that was, that was that was the most exciting, you know, uh, that and, and the other scenario I described. Yeah, very... Um, I guess I'm, I see it as being very, very fortunate and having sort of an unorthodox journey or either I'm the only one who expresses that part of the journey, one or the other. So anyway, yeah. Ah, oh, I love it. I, I want to circle back to your sister. How yeah. was your experience as a caregiver different from your sister as she was a patient? Okay, that, that experience, um, I guess I've been programmed when I'm met with challenges of illness or, or grief because of death. I'm given the ability to be in the moment, to do what has to be done, to take care of business. And so what I'm dealing with is put on hold. You know, and it's kept in a separate pocket somehow. Uh, so that that experience uh, was one very very humbling for me uh, because my sister yielded her entire being, her entire situation to me. I had learned earlier that she had decided that if the three of us, because our mom had cancer as well um, and lived for about two years and then she passed away. She had a recurrence that met it in, and uh, transitioned on. So my sister, who was a middle child, had decided if the three of us, one of us was to get cancer, it was, it was going to be her. So unknowns wow. to any of us, so different from her personality, and she was a longtime teacher from the from the moment she started her career until until she passed away. She had decided that she would get insurance policies to help take care of that. And I'm thinking, who is this person? <laughs> right? This is not my sister. But again, the most humbling was for her just to look at me at that first visit with the oncologist and say, by call me by my nickname, Nanny. What do you think? She didn't participate in her treatment from then on. Had nothing at all to say. Whatever I communicated. Now she was there, of course, with me. So how much she was listening and digesting, I don't know. How she was interpreting it, I don't know. But the fact is, she did not interfere. She did not take part verbally in anything at all. And to this day, that is still a very 
humbling experience and moment for me, even when I think about that, just knowing our relationship from early childhood throughout. Um, very, very humbling. Did you ever want to have that discussion with her? Did you ever try to talk to her about her treatment? I did not. And as I thought about that, it was, I just wanted to respect her decision. And I didn't want to slip into my normal mode of questioning her when she sought my help because she's like well you you will lecture me well i'm not lecturing you i just need details if you're asking me for help so that i can give you the best you know advice and so i did not want to cross those lines there uh, i also know too that in her own way while she yielded herself to me there were things that she did not want me to know she did she didn't even want to get into that space because there were some very small occurrences uh, where I could notice, say for instance, she would spend time in her room ripping up papers that she didn't want me to come across. You know, if I asked her about something, um, I, I can recall somehow finding out she had gone to Florida to visit a friend and ended up going to the emergency room. Well, what was that about? Oh, you don't need to know. That was something different. Okay. All right. You know, so I, I respect, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I respected those boundaries. Hindsight, I wish I had tried to have some of the conversations with her. But, um, you know, it, it was what it was. Um, the most important thing that I, I quickly realized how advanced it was. She only was given three to four months to, to live, and she made it three and a half months. But I wanted her to be able to uh, be in that space as, as well as she could and um, have whatever conversations she chose to have, either with her daughters or, or whomever, and wanted her to have the freedom to do that without being concerned of whether I was going to, you know, try to come and take part or interfere or what have you. So, yeah. Wow. How do you look at your life differently now than before either your diagnosis or your sister's diagnosis? I think I look at it, uh, it reminds me, of a scripture, and I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I know I won't get it right. However, it is, though our plans may be so well thought out, God's plans will always override those. You know, uh, I found myself in a space that I never imagined I would be in. I mean, I was literally thrust into caregiving. There was no planning for that. I ended up, I, I thought I was going to Alabama for about four days to assess the situation, make some decisions, so forth. I could come back and do whatever was next. I never left from the day I got there until a point after she transitioned. October 31st, 
through, I think I came back to Houston maybe early April. She transitioned in February. And so, yeah, that six-month period, my life as I knew it just completely stopped. You know, and I thank God that my husband was able to do what needed to be done while I was focused there. It, it, it told me that I've got a lot of resilience. And I'd heard that before, but yet, mm, okay, all right, you see it, that's good, you know. But to be able to really step back and think about that wave of activity and then to come back to Houston and say, okay, I'm back. Let me breathe. Okay, what's life look like in Houston? Let me pick up and do what I need to do to do that. It also taught me that we don't always have to speak to be an influence on people. We can just be in that moment, whatever that moment is, just being who we are, accepting who we are and not thinking about what we're doing, not thinking about how people are going to react, but just being. Because uh, one, I'm a member of a very large church here. So people were coming to me, I didn't even know. <laughs> I just want you to know that you've inspired me so much. Oh, okay. All right. I would go shopping and it may have occurred before, but it was more impactful after my journey. If I was out somewhere, say shopping, I can remember going up an escalator. Somebody was coming down, just waving. I know you, you go to my church. Oh. Yes, thank you. And just things like that. And I'm like, what did I do? I don't know you. I don't think I know you. Have we met? Have we talked? And uh, it didn't. It didn't matter. It, it really didn't matter. And so that journey just set the course for me over the last ten years. The experiences I've had, the people that I've met, um, whatever influence uh, I was able to have. It's it's a famous quote. Life is what happens when you're busy making plans. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not that you shouldn't plan or have goals, but that's right. That's right. Life, um, life, life keeps happening. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this next question, I, I can't wait to hear your answer because it's so interesting. Because you had experience with a parent having cancer, and then right before you know your diagnosis, you had this experience with your sister. But what is the one thing that you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey? So not your sister's, but yours. At the beginning of my cancer journey, because uh, I think I said earlier that when I'm put into those situations, I think back on what a funeral director told me once when I had to step in to manage the process for uh, an uncle and then later his wife who passed away. When he met me, he says, I just couldn't figure out why their children needed you to be here and why they would not start the meeting until you got off the plane and got here. Um, 
I couldn't understand that. And it was the day of the funeral service that he said to me, you've missed your calling. And I looked at this man and I'm like, um, he's like, yes, you know, handling funerals, they're an event. Of course. And it's just event planning. I just looked at him like, uh, okay, all right. But I don't see it that way. I just see it as, you know, I believe that God has given me the ability to step into those situations and to be objective and to put the emotions, my emotions aside, because everybody else is in theirs. So somebody's got to be clear. Uh, being the oldest child, I had the responsibility with my parents and so forth. So uh, my sister's journey, and I, I had this conversation with God too. I, you know, his sense of humor is sometimes just, it's amazing. That's who he is, right? But I said, now I asked God, did you set me up for my own journey through that very traumatic, devastating situation with my sister? I would have listened if you had chosen to do something a little bit lighter and different, right? But uh, it was that that introduced me to the healthcare system. It was that journey that helped me discover that I have a voice. My voice has power, and it's okay to use it. Uh, an example of that was being the person in between my sister and her children. I, I knew, and as you can already tell, I'm pretty detailed. I needed to be able to get the information and be sure that I was getting it accurate and so forth. Started out with a pad and pen. Family then gave me a, a laptop to work with. <laughs> but... I can recall telling the nurses or the doctors as they would come in, give me a moment, please. Let me get my notes. So much so that I didn't have to say it anymore that, you know, someone, nurse, whomever it was, would say, let's just wait a second. She needs to get her note and her, and her, her notepad and her pen or what have you. I didn't have to force myself upon them. I just did what I needed to do, and they respected that. That that whole experience just laid the foundation for me and what I would experience and the kinds of conversations and what have you that I would need to have uh, for my own journey. Uh, one very in particular was to take that experience of the notepad and so forth, putting it into my journey. And my, my medical oncologist was like, oh, well, you don't need to take notes. You, yes, you do. Give us <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, you do. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll get this. Okay, got it. But I'm going to be taking notes. So let me ask the question. Yeah. I want to ask a question a little bit of a different way then. So okay. because your sister's experience did prepare you for so much, is there something you learned during your journey that you did not learn as you did not learn, you wish you had known that you wish every patient knew at the beginning, something perhaps that you know you didn't learn during your sister's journey? 
I don't know whether it was something that I didn't learn, but I what what comes to mind is that we are people. Uh, we're not specimens. We're still human. The doctors are treating live people. And because of that, we have the right to speak up and demand that they see us as live human beings. We might be in a weakened state. You know, yes, we're dealing with some illness, however, but we're still human and we need to be respected. And so I'm not sure if that answered your question because, you know, my mind is twirling right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, it did. It did. And you've said that more than once. So I think it's great for people to hear that, that you have a voice and you need to be heard and you need to be respected. And, And it's good for people to know that they can speak up. If you could only do one thing, just one, to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? It would be to make an impact on the cultural and some of the systemic disparities that are in healthcare. It may have come a long way, and I know that the topic is on the table, but until both healthcare professionals and community begin to understand that a lot of the situations that have been described as the barriers are only the symptoms of the real causes. We need to get to the real causes of the disparities. Then we can make impact and those barriers and the degree in which they occur will begin to dissipate. So that's, that's the one thing I wish I could do is to eliminate the, the disparities. That's a big one. It is. That's a big one. All right. Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire questions? Let's go. Okay. All right. Um, just have fun with these. Like I said, don't overthink them. Beach, okay. desert, or mountain? Beach. Beach boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Trustworthy. I pulled, I pulled some people to get some, get some remarks, but trustworthy. Did you really, you pulled people? Oh, I love it. I, I love did. it. You pulled people. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Okay. Here's some other words real quickly. Uh, determined, dedicated, amazing, thoughtful, true, passionate. I picked trustworthy. I thought they covered them all. <laughs> Every person after you who does this is going to poll people. You, you set the bar really, really high. <laughs> All right. Before you die, last song you want to hear. I guess Jesus Loves Me. Love it. Last meal you want to eat. Whatever my husband prepares, whether it's gumbo, turkey necks, Aww. greens. Last person you want to see. Wow. Um, hmm. it wouldn't be one person. It would be my grandson. It would be my, uh, my nieces, my great nieces and nephews. They're the legacy. And the last words you will speak. Continue the legacy, Mm. continue to fight. And I love you. Oh, 
Beautiful. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and or caregivers? I'll go back to my beginning. It would be breastcancer.org. Because of the discussion boards uh, that that organization has has set up. Is that Susan G. Komen? No. No, this is, it's breastcancer.org. Okay. We'll put that in the notes. Um, And the discussion boards were driven by patients. And all sorts of very diverse groups of patients and subgroups of patients and so forth who asked the questions that they wanted to ask. And so I got what I felt was very credible information, you know, some very in-depth, you know, issues that people were talking about. So, and that was really my go-to. Uh, initially, the breastcancer.org that I just stumbled upon. Oh, I'm glad you did. That's Thank you for yes. sharing that. So if our listeners, people in the community want to get in touch with you, Wanda, what would be the best way? Would be wbjohnson at swbell.net. Okay. We will put that in the notes as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You're so welcome. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.